Good morning, church family. Thank you, David. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. I'll be in chapter 5. And I'm continuing our sermon series called Real Life. And uh, the book of Ecclesiastes was written by a man named Solomon, one of the wisest men, one of the wealthiest men in the history of the world. And Ecclesiastes is like Solomon's personal journal. This is a man who was in ministry, who had power, who had wealth, who had wisdom. And he looked all over the world to find meaning and purpose and value. And everywhere he looked horizontally, he found that life was really empty and meaningless. And so most of the book of Ecclesiastes is about things that Solomon has found in the earth that are meaningless and empty. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon takes a look vertically. And it's one of the rare occasions in the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon's eyes are not fixated on things down below the heavens, but on the God who lives in the heavens. And Solomon's going to teach us today that when life gets real, we need to really worship God. I was in an elders meeting on Wednesday as you're turning to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we were talking, and one of our elders mentioned uh, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30. And in Matthew 26 and verse 30, Jesus has finished eating the Last Supper with the disciples. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to enter into the season in his ministry where he's beaten and condemned and criticized. Grant did an excellent job with that this morning, mustache and all. And after, after he eats the Last Supper... Um, Jesus and his disciples do something really interesting in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30. If you're taking notes, you just jot this down. They eat the Last Supper. Jesus knows what is coming up. And he could have done a number of things. He could have isolated. He could have ran and hid. He could have called the powers of heaven down and conquered the world forcefully and violently. But instead, Jesus and his disciples get together and they sing. They sing and worship God. When life got real for Jesus, that's the pattern he followed. What Solomon's going to teach us about today is that when life gets real, that's the pattern you need to follow. When things get difficult, find a moment and find the strength in your heart to worship God. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, I'm going to be starting in verse 1. I'm going to read the first seven verses to you. The Bible says this. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer sacrifice of fools who do not know what they are doing. Do not be quick with your mouth and do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. God has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. So the first topic that Solomon addresses in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 1 is this idea that real worshipers 
worship God with an expectation to hear from the Lord. Real worshipers worship in a way that opens their mind and heart to hear and receive from the Lord. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 1. Solomon says, guard your steps when you go to the house of the Lord. Go near to listen. Go to the house of the Lord, draw near to the Lord with the expectation of hearing what the Lord has for you that particular time. A lot of the work I get to do, and David mentioned this, is to counsel families through the seasons of life. And it's one of the things I most appreciate about ministry. And it's also one of the most difficult things in ministry because families go through some very, very difficult situations. Lost Families have loved ones that pass away long before families are ready for that to happen. Or families are arguing and fighting about chronic issues. Or maybe a loved one is uh, in jail or or, um, struggling with drugs and alcohol or struggling with some other mental illness. And at the core of all of this stuff is, is communication. Seems like no matter what issue I'm working on with families... Communication is a primary issue in whatever that circumstance is. And in any relationship, church family, communication is critical. Communication is critical. And God loves you, and He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die so that you could have relationship with Him. And because He wants relationship with you, God also wants to communicate with you. God has something for you to receive today that could be transformational or help you overcome that particular storm that is raging in your life. So often I think we're looking for communication horizontally like Solomon has in so many different occasions. But today I want you to begin to open your mind and heart to seek for communication from God vertically. Let God allow Let God provide some direction and correction in whatever situation you're going through. So not only is communication critical for relationships, and not only does God want to communicate to you, but I believe more often than not, in most people's situations, God is communicating. It's not a matter matter of whether or not God is communicating. It's often more a matter of whether or not an individual is willing to open themselves to really hear what the Lord has to say. I'm not necessarily saying this will happen in an audible voice. But absolutely, church family, God intends to speak to you through the preacher, through a broken vessel like me. God intends for you to learn something. And it'd be real easy for you to sit out there and go, you know what, Trent got that verse wrong, or Trent misspoke, or uh, which that's never happened when I've preached, but I know that sometimes there are preachers who are preaching that make those kinds of errors. And you can sit out there and you can listen to those things, or you can choose to keep your heart and mind receptive to what the Lord has to say to you. Not only does God want to speak to you through preachers, God wants to speak to you through His Word. God wants you to open this book and seek for guidance. In so many marriages, couples are arguing with each other about who's going to do what, or I didn't understand what you said, or you just don't make your needs plain. And I want to tell those, I want to tell those families, and sometimes I do, you're seeking too much communication from the other person in, in this relationship and not enough communication from the God who designed this relationship. 
If you'll turn to God's word, if you'll allow God to minister to you through, through a preacher or through song or through an elder or, or, or through a trusted spiritual mentor, your situation will be transformed. God is speaking to you. God wants to speak to you. You need to open your heart to be receptive to what the Lord has to say. John chapter 10 and verse 27, Jesus says this, and you'll know this reference, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. Solomon writes something very similar in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge God, and He will make your paths straight. God wants to lead you, church. And to lead you, He's going to communicate to you. And God is communicating. It's imperative that you open your mind and heart and be willing to receive from the Lord. So from this particular part in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon makes a transition. He says, you got to show up ready to listen more than you want to show up ready to speak. Don't bring a heart of gossip. Don't bring a heart of complaining. Don't bring a heart of frustration. Bring a heart that is ready to listen. But he also says, don't bring a hasty heart to worship. And a hasty heart is not a humble heart. A hasty heart is not a heart that is lived in total surrender to God. And that's the second point Solomon is going to make here is that real worshipers live in a state of total surrender to God. Real worshipers bring an attitude of, of, of expecting to hear, and real worshipers bring an attitude of total surrender. God, what I hear from you, in other words, I'm ready to do. God, what you show me in my life that I need to get out of my life, I'm ready to get it out of my life. God, what you tell me I need more of in my life, I'm ready to get more of that in my life. God, I don't have a hasty heart. I have a humble heart. I have a heart that is lived in total submission to you. That's real worship. When life gets real, you got to be willing to listen to what God has to say, and you got to be willing to do what God's telling you to do. That's a life lived in total surrender. Verses 2 and 3, I want to read these really quickly for you. Don't be quick with your mouth, and don't be hasty in your heart. That hastiness in heart is a lack of humility, and that's linked with a mouth that is unrestrained or unbridled. Don't be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. Hearts that are not humble before God and hearts that are not in total surrender before God are also hearts that belong to individuals whose mouths are unrestrained. They're the type of mouths that complain easily. They're the type of mouths that make promises that they don't keep. And we're going to talk about that more in a minute. They're the type of mouths that are not committed to the things of God, but instead committed to, listen to this church, the comfort of self. The comfort of self. And those kind of mouths need to be surrendered to God. James talks about this a lot. In James chapter 3 verse 2, which is a book in the New Testament. James says, if a person is able to control their tongue, they are able to behave perfectly in all that they do. The mouth, James says, is the most difficult part of the body to get under control. 
And James says, if you can get your mouth under control, you can get your heart under control. And if you can get your heart under control, you can have a heart that is humble before God. And if your heart is humble before God, you can live in total surrender before God. And if you live in total surrender before God, when life gets real, you're going to overcome those particular situations in your life. So Solomon would say, you have to have more dedication then you have to have dreams or dialogue. That's this particular text. That's what this particular text is teaching us. The, the individual that Solomon is referencing here, which is this fool who walks in the house of God and makes these vows and doesn't follow through and has all these dreams, it's somebody with a whole lot of talk and not a lot of walk. It's somebody with all the dreams and dialogue in the world, but not a lot of dedication. And, and God wants you to not just dedicate your dialogue to him, but also your dreams to him. And man, when we align our dreams, the hopes that we have in life, and the things that we aspire to, when we align all of that with what God is telling us he wants for us, that's when our passion and God's purpose align. And it doesn't matter how real life gets. It doesn't matter how difficult life gets. It doesn't matter what kind of struggles we go through. We're going to find a way to overcome. And if we'll follow the leadership of the Lord, nothing in life can keep us from worshiping. So Solomon kind of gives us these two different ideas. First, it's this humble, it's this hasty heart that's not lived in total surrender to the Lord. But then it's also this type of individual whose words don't matter. This is the type of individual who, who makes promises they don't keep. And real worshipers make their words matter. That's where Solomon ends up going in the fourth verse. The Bible says this. When you make a vow to God, don't delay to fulfill it. God has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better to not make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Don't let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest the preacher, I mean, the temple messenger, saying my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. In today's world, there truly is a whole lot of talk and not a lot of walk. In today's world, there are a lot of promises and not a whole lot of follow-through. I want you to think about your life for a moment. I want you to look back over the course of your life and I want you to consider some of the commitments you've made to God. And probably you wouldn't have to go much farther back than January 1st of 2018. And lots of us in Janu on January 1st of 2018 made God some commitments. We said things like this. God, I am committed to reading the whole Bible through this year. Some of us made that commitment. And some of us right now have stopped the daily Bible reading plan we started in January 1st already. Some of us on January 1st, 2018 said, God, I commit to getting involved in a house, in a community group at a house of one of the members here at White Street Road Church and being there every single time that they meet. And some of us have already stopped attending. 
Some of us told God on January 1st, Lord, I am going to start serving in this community by getting involved in a service ministry at this church, Heart to Home, Heartfelt Ministries, uh, Celebrate Recovery, Grief Share, Divorce Care. I'm going to get involved, Lord. I'm going to give back the Project 2.5 Plus ministry. God, I want to be a part of our pregnancy crisis group. God, I want to help people. I want to disciple people. And already the commitment we made to God, we have broken. God, I'm going to be more faithful to my spouse in 2018 by making a covenant with my eyes to you. And I'm not going to put any filthiness in front of my face. Because I want to glorify and honor you and respect my spouse. Some of us have made those kinds of commitments. Some of us committed, God, I'm going to quit drinking. Or I'm going to surrender my anger. Or God, I'm really going to begin to be obedient with my finances in 2018. Or God, I'm going to treat my body as a temple. And I'm going to lose the weight that I've gained because I'm eating to deal with bad feelings instead of allowing you to deal with those bad feelings. God, I'm committed to seeking you before I seek food. Some of us made those kinds of commitments and already, church, we've gone back on those things. And God's telling you, look, it would have been better at the front end to just not have made the vow than to have made it and gone back on it because God values the words that you say. God is listening to the words that you speak. And if you break a vow that you've made to God, church family, that's sinful. And I don't apologize for saying that you've got to get your tail in gear. And if you make a commitment to God, you better follow through with that commitment. In 1991, a coach from University of Colorado at Boulder was thinking about this particular idea. He was thinking, you know what? There are not a lot of men on planet Earth, especially in the United States, who are promise-keeping kinds of men. And so the organization Promise Keepers was started, and the goal was to help men keep their promises. Which I think is both a very beautiful and meaningful ministry, and it's also very sad that that kind of ministry is needed. Because so many of us, men and women, have not developed spiritually to a place of maturity where we have mastered keeping our promises, and that is a tragedy. And we've got to move past being promise keepers, that's very basic spiritual maturity, into a place of being sacrificial praisers. That's the spiritual level of maturity that real worshipers ultimately find in their lives. And that phrase comes from Hebrews chapter 13, 15. I want to, I want to read this to you. This idea of being a sacrificial praiser. The Bible says this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. The question on my mind this morning is, what is the praise that you are showing to God in your life costing you? What are you bringing to the house of God? How are you worshiping God in a way that costs you something, church? Because that's when praise gets real. That's when worship gets real. When it costs me something, when I am broken and beat up and I got nothing left 
and I'm still praising Jesus. When I am sick and destitute and alone and I still have a sacrifice of praise on my lips. When I am tired and road weary and have lived through long night after long night after long night and I'm still in God's word and I'm still writing in my prayer journal and I still got praise music on lifting my heart and my mind and my lips to God. I'm offering a sacrifice of praise. When you can't even be a promise keeper, you can't be a sacrificial praiser. Come on, somebody. I want to, I want to take you to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24. So here's the context. The Israelites have been stricken with a plague. And David is told that he needs to go to this man's house, Eruana, the Jebusite. You, if you've got your Bible, turn here. This, I want this underlined in your Bible. Um, so David is told that he's got to go to the house of this man named Eruana, the Jebusite. And that he has to purchase a place from this man where he can build an altar and offer a sacrifice to God so that God will stop the plague he has sent on the Israelites. And in 2 Samuel 24, 24, Arowana, this guy, sees David coming. And he runs out to meet him. He's like, David, my king, I submit to you. He kneels down before David. He, he greets him. And David says, Arowana, God has sent me here to purchase your threshing floor so that there I can build an altar and I can offer a sacrifice to God. 2 Samuel 24, 24 is where I'm going. This is good. And everyone is like, well, David, my king, anything I have is yours. The, the, the threshing floor, take it, it's yours. You need an ox for the sacrifice, take it, it's yours. Whatever you need to offer a sacrifice to our God, I give it to you. And in 2 Samuel 24, 24, David says, no, no way. I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God. Come on, somebody. Burnt offerings that cost me nothing. You see, David understood the sacrifice that God had made for him. David understood that he was a broken messed up, wannabe king who of his own strength would have run that nation of Israel God had given him into the ground. But by God's power, by God's grace, by God's might, and by God's mercy, David was raised up to become a conquering king who led the nation in a way that blessed them. And David was not willing to return to God at no cost, praise that God deserved because God spent so much effort and energy blessing David. I'm not going to do, Arowana, a sacrifice that costs me nothing because God has given me everything. And some of us are completely content to praise and worship God in a way that costs us nothing. Man, when I feel good... And when things are good and when it's easy, man, I'll get in the Word. I'll turn on some praise music. But that's not a sacrifice that costs you something, church. But what about when you're tired? Man, when you're weary. When the weight of the world feels like it is crushing you. 
It takes the sacrifice in those moments to praise the Lord. And that's the kind of sacrifice real worshipers offer up for the glory and honor of God. Solomon ends this passage in Ecclesiastes with this admonishment to fear the Lord. And real worshipers offer sacrifices of praise because they fear and respect the Lord. That's what real worshipers do. Solomon's been this whole time contrasting like what a foolish worshiper does with what a real worshiper should do. And I want you to go to, or at least write down, Leviticus chapter 10. I'm going to read the first and second verses. So there are these two priests of God in the Old Testament named Nadab and Abihu. And these guys were very familiar with how they were supposed to worship the Lord. They had been in the Holy of Holies a number of different times. They had offered lots of sacrifices to God. They knew the processes and procedures and policies of the temple. And they, they had everything figured out. They knew what was required. And so there's this time where they're going into the Holy of Holies. And that's the inner sanctuary where God dwelt. And to go there, they had to have these censers that had incense on them that was set on fire by the same fire that consumed the sacrifice offered by the Israelite who was at the temple sacrificing that day. Tabernacle, excuse me. So an Israelite would have brought a sacrifice into the tabernacle. It would have been put on the altar of God. The fire of God would have consumed the sacrifice. And then Nadab and Abihu would have lit the incense on their censers with that same fire as they walked into the Holy of Holies. Why was that fire critical? Because it represented the sacrifice. And you could not be in the presence of God without having sacrificed. And Nadab and Abihu get lazy. This is Leviticus chapter 10. Verses 1 and 2 here. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. Listen to what happened to these guys. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. These guys took their own fire and lit the incense and walked into the Holy of Holies and the fire of the Lord came down and consumed these guys and killed them in the presence of the Lord. Now, in a church of Christ, the temptation is to say something like, if we don't worship exactly right, the fire from heaven is going to come down and it's going to consume us, right? That is not the application I'm making this morning, but I thought that'd be funny to say. And if you have a problem with that, take it up with one of the elders. I can see Randy Kirby right there. I think Tommy Inman is here somewhere. At the core of these guys' misfortune is the fact that they did not respect the Lord enough to do what he commanded them to do. They did not reverence the Lord enough. They did not honor the Lord enough to do what God commanded them to do. And I want to tell you, church family, that familiarity does not equal fear. Just because you are familiar with God does not mean you fear God. There are individuals who are in church their whole lives, 
And if fear is defined by obeying the commands of the Lord as respecting God enough to do what he says, then there are a lot of people who have been in church for a long time that do not really fear the Lord because they're not doing what the Lord's commanded. And Solomon would say, man, real worshipers, they do what the Lord commands. Real worshipers respect the Lord enough and revere the Lord enough to follow after his teaching, especially when life gets real. Last night I had the chance to watch the NCAA Collegiate Wrestling Championships. And I wanted to do this just to see, did anyone in the audience this morning even know that that was on last night? If you did, raise your hand. All right, all right, Clark Smith, I see you out there. Okay, did anybody watch that other, other than me? Man, God bless you guys, Al. Praise the Lord. We got some, we got some people in here that love Jesus, right? <laughs> Hey, and you guys think that's a joke. The only sport mentioned in the Bible is wrestling. Boxing to an extent, but Paul didn't really mean that the way he said it. Okay? So wrestling, only New Testament approved sport. So these guys, these, these wrestlers are, are up there on this huge national stage with thousands of people watching and I was watching with a buddy of mine named Tanner, and he was a big stud wrestler from Purdue. And um, he was kind of telling me, you know, oh, this guy made a mistake, or he could have done this. And I thought to myself, man, how hard it is to stick with your training under that much emotional intensity. You know, when you've got the whole world watching, the national title is on the line, you've worked maybe your whole life to get to this point, in that level of duress, it can be really hard to stick with the plan. But if these guys respect their coach enough and trust their coach enough, when he calls out a command, as they've kind of gone off course from the plan, if they respect him and reverence him enough, when he calls out the command, these guys change course and they win. And that's the same level of reverence and respect we got to have in life, church family. Man, there is coming a moment in your life, maybe you're there right now, where the situation just gets intense. Really intense. And God wants to coach you through that intense situation. And he's on the sidelines and he's speaking to you. He's calling out to you. He's trying to guide you. And you need to respect and reverence him enough to follow through with doing what he commanded. And it may not be easy and it may not feel like it makes sense. But if you'll follow his leadership, when life gets real, you'll survive. And why, why do we know that's true? I want to go back to the book of Matthew. We know that that's true because of what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. We know that that's true because Jesus carried our cross and bore our sin and shame and died a death that we could be forgiven so that we could be reborn into God's family. And so that we could worship God when life got real and we could overcome those difficult situations we face because Jesus has overcome the world. Can I get an amen on that this morning? Some of you are in the middle of those difficult situations right now. 
The weight of the world you feel like is on your shoulders. And you need God to provide some coaching and some guidance. I'm going to close in a prayer. When I close, we're going to sing a verse of a song. And while we sing, I invite you to come forward and allow your worship of the Lord today to help you get through the real struggles you face in life. Let's bow. Precious Heavenly Father, I come before you just so grateful for the opportunity to worship you today. God, I I thank you for the encouragement and challenge that I have felt. And I just ask you to help me and everyone else under the sound of my voice to follow after you in real worship. And if any has a need here, if any is burdened by the things of this world, if any person's life has just gotten real, God, I pray that you would empower and strengthen them to come forward and, 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 and worship you so that they can overcome what they're dealing with today. God, we love you. And we thank you. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Please stand with me.